This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Sometimes pursuing your dreams can take you right across the globe, and other times it can lead you right home. Today's guest once had grand ambitions to change the world with his music, but it was actually his family's window installation company that catapulted him into the construction tech world. I am so excited to welcome Shane Hodgkins onto the show today. Shane is the CEO of Maytrack Industries, which has been hailed as the next construction tech unicorn. In this episode, I talk to Shane about how the idea for Maytrack Industries came about, the early challenges in building the business, and how they raised $3 million in funding. For those of you who haven't yet Make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Shane Hodgkins. Hey. (laughs) Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to be on uh, on the podcast. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Well, look, you and I recently connected through one of our past podcast guests, Mm -hmm. Nick Chang. And when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you were doing at Matrix, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Cool. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, totally. So um, so basically me and my brother have started a construction tech company. Essentially, we just help any company that's involved in construction be able to track the materials or shipments or other work that they're doing. And then they can link up with other companies so that they all have sort of a shared repository of information, which for the construction industry is a pretty big deal because they've been typically having to rely on sort of paper for such a long time. So it's a really exciting space to be in. Totally. So interesting. Look, I cannot wait to dive deeper into your work and your business. But before we do, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, what did your parents do? And yeah. how has this impacted the choices you've had in your life, in your career so far? Yeah, that's such an awesome question. So um, 
basically, it's the fundamental reason that we're doing what we're doing is because of what our parents are doing. Um, so my uh, mum and dad were running a window installation company that they started themselves um, pretty much around the time that I was born. And so they only had a handful of people working for them originally, but then that built up to probably around sort of 35 staff that they had for a while. Um, and then that was really funny because like when I was a little kid, every Friday they'd have the, um, the whole company come over for drinks. And so I'd be like sitting there watching Ninja Turtles with about like 10 other apprentices <laughs> that'd be like, yeah, go Raphael or whatever. So it was a pretty core part of our experience, I guess, growing up is sort of understanding sort of the experience of people that are running their own business, but also specifically in the construction space. Mm. Super interesting. And I yeah. think that I love that question because it does often link quite directly to who we are today or what we're doing. So something that I'm really interested to ask you is the role that you and your brother played in that. So you and your brother have started the company together, but t- talk to me a little bit about those early days as kids, you know, you know, how did you relate to one another? What, what was your relationship like? Yeah, totally. So I was super lucky in that I've got two younger si- siblings who are both amazing. So we a younger sister and then uh, Brett's a bit younger than that as well. And so when we were both young, like we were both big nerds. And so we'd always be like working on little projects and stuff together. Um, there was one that's like almost embarrassing <laughs> that we worked on when uh, he was about seven and I was probably about 13. And we decided that we wanted to make an artificial intelligence. And so we decided to call it Brain, um, BR from Brett and Ain from Shane. And so we're like, yeah, this is going to be the next big thing. Um, and so we worked on it for probably about three weeks, which I think is a good amount of time <laughs> for, for people that age. Um, but yeah, so all three of us like had really good relationships growing up. Mm. Mm. So interesting. And what role did your parents kind of have in kind of supporting you with your little endeavors and your, your entrepreneurial things and your, you know, all of your tech stuff? Like what, what role did they play? It was really interesting. I think probably mostly they led by example. Mm. Um, we got to really see like with any industry, any company, there's always going to be ups and downs. And they did a really good job, I think, of like making sure that we didn't, have to get directly you know stressed out by anything that was going on but it was still something that we were able to sort of learn from them hearing them discuss about what was happening around the dinner table and that sort of stuff um yeah but to be honest they've always been really supportive of whatever we wanted to do so like brett originally did a degree in um, sound engineering and i originally did a degree in music and they were both like you're never going to get paid employment doing this. Are you sure this is really what you want to do? But we're like, yeah, this would be great. <laughs> That's what our voices sound like at the time. Um, and, yeah, and so they were always really supportive of that. But then ultimately when they were correct that neither of us could get any um, gainful employment in those industries, we went and, yeah, decided to work in sort of tech stuff instead. Mm. I love that. And I think it makes such a difference when your parents are on board and when you've got that support backing you to do what you want to do. For those of us who aren't as fortunate to have that, for our peers out there listening who maybe they've got this, you know, maybe they want to go out there and study music or become Mm. a musician or become an entrepreneur or, you know, whatever it is that they want to do, that passion that they want to do, but they know that their parents probably (laughs) wouldn't be as supportive. What advice would you give to them? That's a really tough one because, as you said, I was really lucky Mm -hmm. to have that support. Um, But to be honest, like there's not many people that I know that actually have that sort of level of um, support with the people that they work with. And I guess for a lot of people, you might not have that that sort of connection from the people that you're biologically related to. But um, I think as long as you've got 
people that you consider your family that are able to give you that um, support and help and yeah, guidance, I guess, about to do things that, um, that might be a bit risky mm. and to actually give you the sort of confidence to give it a crack. I think that's pretty important. Mm. How have you gone about kind of building that support network outside of your family and your brother and what's that been like for you? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. Um, again, I've been super lucky in terms of having had a lot of friends, even from high school, that we all sort of moved to the city together. Um, yeah, I've just been pretty lucky with being able to meet really good people. Um, but then I think part of that too is because like uh, for me, and I think probably Brad as well, um, that having those sort of connections and close friendships are probably more important than almost anything else. Mm. And so even though you might get dragged away for it for long periods of time because you're working on a business or whatever, um, at least if you've got those connections that yeah, kind of gives you the ability to try that sort of stuff out. Um, whereas, I mean, there's heaps of people in startup space who are just like, my business is my life, yeah. and that's all they do. Yeah. And um, that can be fine for some people, but for me it just seems super risky because if the business isn't there, then what else do you have to fall back on, I guess? Mm. So true. Where do you think that value of, re of relationships come f comes from for you? <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably just having it, I guess, with my family and stuff. Um, mm. And yeah, and I guess, I mean, probably as well, just like being a bit of a nerd, you sort of, um, you start to value some of those friendships more often when you get them, I guess. And so that might be something that's sort of continued on mm. uh, as I've gotten older as well. Mm. Love that. I'm throwing you on the hard ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Getting them out of the way. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. I love that. And so look, you ended up, um, you know, after your, after your stint in music and or your, your desire to go study music, you ended up doing a Bachelor of Arts at the University of New England. You know, mm. what was that time like for you, those university days? And and then how did that kind of shape your early career? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So, um, so basically, yeah, I, I was studying music. I had, like, these grand ambitions to, like, change the world with music and all of this <laughs> sort of stuff. Um, and, yeah, I guess probably the big surprise for that is just how much of it is just business related. Mm. Like it doesn't matter what sort of pursuit you want to do. Um, if you you can be really, really amazing at creating stuff, but unless you can actually get it to the right people and actually be able to support yourself. So you make sure you're pricing things properly and um, you've got to do your taxes, you know, there's all this really um, boring stuff that you <laughs> kind of have to get right. Um, and so I think it really helped giving you that sort of perspective to start thinking about that um, no matter what endeavor you're working on. Mm. So interesting. And I think I couldn't agree more. I think whether we like it or not, in a way, we all have to somewhat be business minded or even a little bit more commercially minded around, you know, how can we take this product or this idea or this music career, you know, to that next level? Or how can we even get it off the ground in the first place? Mm. Um, super interesting. And so look, when you decided that, okay, look, it's time, I'm going to jump out there into a working world, you know, what were, I saw that you did some time at, you know, the ABS, the ATO, and yep. then you ended up at Property Exchange Australia. You know, what were, what were those days like for you, those early career days, finding your feet? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I, um, again, I've just been super lucky, I guess, with like the um, team, well, the people that I worked with, I suppose. Um, cause I didn't have any formal IT experience. Mm. I didn't do it at uni. Um, but it was just something that like my brother and I had started learning when we were quite young. And so we just sort of kept that up because we were really passionate about it. Mm. Um, and so, 
yeah, I kind of, I, I literally was, I think it was a 2006 census or something. Um, uh, I was in charge of um, just looking at the paper census forms to make sure that they hadn't been smudged when they were printed. Like that was the, <laughs> that was the role I was in. Um, but they didn't really have any way of um, keeping track of which um, pallets of paper had been checked yet. And so one of the managers actually just gave me sort of free reign just you know, it wasn't what I was paid to do, mm. um, to just like write a little app to try and help the different teams coordinate which ones have been checked and which ones didn't. And then that led to them giving me a job in the IT area, even though I hadn't done that before. And that was really the foundation for me even getting into the industry. Um, so yeah, I'm so, so grateful to, <laughs> to those people like for, for giving me a go at that sort of stuff. Cause yeah, I literally wouldn't be doing IT at all if it mm. wasn't for that. Mm. Mm. I find it so interesting that there can just be these random occurrences that happen or we think they're random, but somehow, maybe they are, but somehow, you know, we've we've stepped into that role and gone, you know what, I, I will give this a go. Or I've noticed this, you know, that can end up changing our whole career trajectory. Yeah. There's actually um, a few people that I know, including like one of our advisors who's completely amazing, um, uh, where it was a similar sort of thing that happened. They just sort of were in a particular role at the company. They identified sort of a new opportunity. They sort of took the initiative to go with that, even within their normal role. And then maybe two or three years later, that actually spun out into a successful business completely separate. And so it wasn't that they were necessarily hunting for the opportunity mm. specifically as much as just like, oh, I'll give this a go, and then mm. sort of following through with it. Mm. Yeah. How can we become, I guess, more curious about things around us, even when we are just going to our normal jobs and doing everyday life? Yeah. I mean, I guess it probably just depends on the perspective. Because, like, mm. for a lot of people, especially if you've got, like, young kids and you might have, like, you know, family sort of dramas or health things that are going on, and so you're just not going to have necessarily the capacity to look at things like that, which is totally, like, that's just what happens for a lot of people. Um, but then, I guess, if you do have, you know, the mental capacity just in terms of like not having too many other stresses in your life um, to be able to look at things from different perspectives. And then that might make you identify opportunities that you could dive into potentially. Um, but again, like it, it really depends on what's happening in your home life and everything, whether you're in the right mind frame to be able to look at things like that, I guess. Mm. Mm. I completely agree. I think it's really your circumstances do definitely affect you know your ability to kind of see out look outside the box or or grab different opportunities for you at that time that kind of identifying that opportunity and then going hang on a second this could be something what kind of headspace were you at in then and how did you put that forth like how did you actually go hang on a second like this is a thing that we should be looking at here yeah well I guess the way that it, like in specifically about Matrack, yeah. yeah. So um, that was pretty interesting. So it was Brett that came up with the whole thing. So he, um, to begin with, he um, was studying, so he'd realized that sound engineering wasn't like um, gonna be this amazing career just yet. Um, so he went back and did a master's of computer science um, and he needed to pay the bills while he was doing that. So he was working um, full time for my dad's company doing the window installation. And so as part of that job, they were working on, I think it was like a 25 story tower um, and they had crazy amounts of windows that were coming to site um, from overseas. Um, and as the installers, you have the most pressure to get things done because any delays that they've had upstream, when it finally comes to you putting the thing in, that's like the most urgent part. And so, but at the same time, they didn't know where the materials were, like where the windows were that were meant to be going to site. They get like five deliveries a day. They're looking for one particular piece that could be in any one of these trucks. 
And so they'd all have to just like run around going, which piece is which? Where do I do it? You know, mm. um, so it was hectic. And so then for him, just because that was just the way that he thought, um, he made a little iPhone app um, just to keep track of everything that was sent to site, which container it was in, whether it was installed, if it had any defects or something, um, and could take photos. And um, for him, I think it was just like a fun opportunity to just make something. And he's like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and um, I'm doing lots of voices today, I guess. But um, <laughs> We love the voices. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And so then he just mentioned it sort of offhandedly around a, a family dinner that we had when I just, we both went to catch up with their mom. And um, yeah. And at the time, I'd been wanting to sort of potentially try and start something. I wasn't sure. I was thinking maybe some IT consulting business or I didn't really know what. Um, but then once he mentioned that, um, the two of us just got really excited about, oh, well, if you do this, then you could do that. And then you could add this. And if you've got that data, you could do this other thing. Um, and so it just seemed like kind of too good an opportunity not to try out. Um, yeah. And so then the, the first times that we actually went to validate whether this is something that would work or not, because, yeah, at the time, Brett actually got... He, uh, he got known as like the app man on site because everyone was like, oh my God, he's the guy with the app. Um, and so they actually had the suppliers who were these huge multinationals from China that were asking him for all this information because they had no idea about what was happening on site. And then the people that were running the job, like the builder, they were um, also, they brought him in and were like, well, we want something like this, um, but for all the trades, not just for Windows. Mm. And so the two of us sort of, went to the job site, um, he was like straight out of, he's just finished work, so he was still in his tradie clothes, and I was like used to corporate land, so I was like suited up and everything, <laughs> walking around this job site. Um, and we had this little Word document that we'd printed out about, oh, so this is what we might be able to build, is this something that would be useful for you guys? Mm -hmm. And um, they're like, yeah, yeah, that'd be amazing, they gave us a heap of feedback, all of this information, and we're like, it'll only cost us about $100,000 yes, to build, and they're like, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at least that um, validated, you know, that there was this real need, um, and we managed to run a few pilots just based on us building extra stuff based on what um, Brett had started with. Um, and just more and more as we met with more people in the industry, it sort of proved that there was a need for it. So we kind of had to give it a crack, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Huge. And I think, I think oftentimes when an awesome idea pop comes up or whatever it is, you know, we don't, you know, we don't often think that many of us think that maybe this isn't really going to work out, you know, not every idea does all that kind of jazz. And we and we forget to almost go out to market and go, okay, can we just talk to the people who are going to be using this and actually mm. validate that? Totally. How important was that initial first step to what you're building now? Well, um, super important because like there, there's been heaps and heaps of really big construction software mm -hmm. companies around for decades. Um, the problems that they were tackling to begin with were quite different, but um, they're so big, you know, like many of them are like sort of uh, Aconex is a recent unicorn and stuff from Australia as well um, that, yeah, that we sort of assumed that, of course, they would have built this out. Mm. And even just like the idea of, you know, most warehouses would have some system that tells you where everything's at. So surely there's something that connects all of the different parties, you know, so they have that information. Um, so for us, we probably assumed that it wouldn't, that someone else was already in that space. Mm. Um, but it was only when we started going out and actually speaking to people that we found out where the gaps were. Mm. Mm. Huge. Yeah. So I do think it's super important for mm. like anyone with any idea. Cause like, otherwise you don't really 
know what to build, let alone whether you should be building anything, I guess. Mm. Mm. And you mentioned that, you know, you were kind of ready to get your hands dirty, to build something of your own. Mm. You know, talk to us a little bit about that transition from corporate out, corporate tech out to, okay, now we're going to do this and we're going to actually build this and we're going to go into business together, Mm. you and your brother. Yeah, <laughs> the transition was pretty stressful. To yeah, be I could only imagine. Yeah, so um, it took us because we were we were just trying to build it in our um, in our free time, mm. uh, which there wasn't a lot of. And um, we, it, it honestly like there's one thing we we built some proof of concepts that we could show to people mm. to try and um, we were really hoping that someone would pay us yeah fifty or hundred grand just to like build something bespoke for them. Um, but no one would, obviously. And so there was heaps of effort that went into just building these things that looked like a system, but were just more of a sales proof of concept sort of thing, Um, or something that we could run a pilot project on, but like wasn't ready for other users to jump in, even just like basic stuff like, what if people forget their password? Or how do you control like what, who has read access and who has write access? Like um, that you have to spend a lot of time building. Mm. And so, yeah, so as the time went on, Brett um, took a bit of time off his job after he finished uni just to focus on that. And at the time, um, (laughs) blew through all of his savings and I was like splitting my salary to um, help him support himself for that. Um, And then eventually he he went back working full time for um, a company in Sydney that was was actually pretty amazing. Um, And then my job very generously let me drop down to part time. And so then I blew through all of my savings <laughs> and then we sort of went back and forth with like each of us sort of supporting each other for a while. Mm. Um, but we did sort of get to the point where we had enough there that we could get our first paying customers. And so we probably had yeah paying customers for about six months before we're like, okay, maybe it's time for one of us to do this full time. Mm. Um, yeah. So that was very scary, <laughs> but um kind of you sort of get to the point where especially when you've got you know your 40 to 45 hour a week main job um you just can't give it the time that it needs without sort of making the leap I guess so mm-hmm. yeah so but I was just super lucky because honestly if it wasn't the two of us working together both of us had periods where we would have burnt out and we would have given up so um and especially because it's like such a big ass especially because he's my younger brother knowing that he was like helping me pay for like two minute noodles so I could <laughs> work on this Eat thing. Yeah. yeah exactly um yeah it was pretty pretty scary but it seems to be paying off so oh. yeah it is a hundred percent paying off but I <laughs> I think that's I always love to talk about that period, the difficult time, you know, of how do you even make this a viable kind of business and how do you actually make this, you know, live at the same time when at the beginning? Because I think so many of us glamorise, you know, the entrepreneurial path or we see, you know, you guys have recently raised a phenomenal amount of money and had this entrepreneur back you um, and, and that we see that story in the AFR and we think, oh, we just want to be there, you yeah. know, and we just don't know how difficult it actually it actually is. So what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who are in that tough time? They're juggling their side hustle with their job, their money's, you know, very low and mm. it's all struggle. What advice would you be, give it about getting through it? Probably just to look after yourself, <laughs> number one. Um, like, burnout's a real thing. Mm. Um, I know a lot of other startups that have gone through that as well. And, um, in fact, some of my colleagues, actually, a lot of my, my current colleagues um, had started their own businesses and stuff, and they would get to the point where they just had the product ready, but they were so at the end of their tether that, like, 
it went live, but then they didn't do any marketing mm. and they kind of didn't even want to look at it again. And that's a really typical thing. Um, and I guess the other part of that is just really being so aware. I mean, this helped me at least um, about just how risky a proposition any sort of startup is. Even if you have everything absolutely perfect and it's the best idea, there might be some super well-funded competitor that'll pop up tomorrow or there might be a market crash or there might be something else that disrupts the whole industry. And those things are outside of your control. Um, so, yeah, I guess it sort of comes back a bit as well to making sure that, that um, you've got that support network too mm -hmm. because... Um, certainly when Brett and I were um, trying to juggle two jobs, essentially, um, yeah, our socialising sort of pretty much stopped. And so it was just really awesome to have people that were able to support us, even though we couldn't be at every party, you know, that we used to be. Um, yeah, so that's it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's that juggling act is always, yeah, it's always a tough one and just getting different perspectives on that. Mm. But I guess um, actually on that, though, mm. one of the cool things I think that is worth thinking about as well for anyone that's in that sort of position mm. is that, like, any sort of startup work that you're doing, even if it's just coming up with a business plan, is probably something that's, like, bankable for your CV. And so as long as you're mindful of what you're doing and you're willing to sort of share your journey, I guess, with the people in your career or even if it doesn't go well, like being able to promote what you have done and where it worked and where it failed to other people. Um, because I guess that's kind of the reason that all of us, like yourself included, are in this space is you get to explore and learn so much more about running a business and you know the world in general, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so um, being able to make the most of that means that even if your particular idea crashes and burns, which statistically it's pretty much <laughs> like, definitely going to yeah. do, yeah. Um, at least you can feel good about, I guess, the journey you've been on. Yeah. Mm, I could not agree more. <laughs> I love that. Look, I wanted to have a bit deeper into the, the progression of Matrix. Like from those hard early days through to now, you guys have raised, I think it was $3 million um, from an investor and have been called, you know, Australia's next billion-dollar construction tech success. Um, to to be, to yeah, happen, to be, to be, maybe one day in the future. Exactly, yeah. but by a very credible person, um, which has been your investor. You know, talk to us a little bit about the last six point uh, six and a half years. You know, of just kind of building up from those really early days of struggle. Yeah, totally. So, um, so it was, yeah, a lot of struggle, but we got to mm. the point where. Um, we had those first paying customers um, who, like, through my dad's company, you know, because he's like, oh, I know a guy that might want to use this. He was, like, a, a really helpful SaaS person <laughs> for us, to be honest, to start with. But, um, yeah, and so we had a few paying customers, and then those things sort of start to snowball a bit as you start to get a reputation. And if you can say, hey, we're working on this project, maybe we could be a fit for this project. And then suddenly you have two projects you can refer to. Um, that, yeah, that, that sort of started to help. And so around that time, Brett and I are like, well, we can't afford to really do this. We don't want to bootstrap it. We, mm -hmm. we think that the biggest risk for us is that we will have some super well-funded, you know, US uh, company in this space that will come in and just, like, wipe out <laughs> any opportunity for us. Um, mm -hmm. So we wanted to try and just, like, get it done. So we had previously um, met with a few sort of investor groups to try and see if we could get any interest. And they knocked us back um, straight away, uh, which was fair enough, you know, it's fine. Um, and so then we started chatting to them again um, around the same time that I went full time. Um, and everyone still knocked us back, but at least they gave us sort of a clearer path of what they'd like to see before they'd be interested. 
And so then, yeah, and so then we just tried to, it was pretty hard because like at the same time, like fundraising is such a full-time job and then trying to keep our paying customers happy and on the system. And because the system was like so immature at that point, they all had like a million and one suggestions that were like really basic stuff. But then some of it was really uh, advanced. Like one of our first customers is like, this is really good, but all of our users in China, um, especially the factory workers, they're not necessarily going to spek English, so the whole system needs to be in Chinese as well. And so we're like, okay, we'll do that. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> yeah, just give us a week or two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which we did it, though. That was pretty cool. Wow. But, um, yeah, the juggling act was, like, a real thing. Um, and we also ha had sort of, like, a small investor from um, one of my colleagues, uh, Matt Gillett, who's just been pretty awesome, um, who was also trying to help us raise more money as well. Um, so yeah, so then we basically went through like the angel networks, like um, Melbourne Angels was probably the biggest backer, um, but we also had, we went, we went out to about 10 different angel organizations that pretty much all knocked us back, uh, but we got one person from Sydney Angels as well. Um, and then a lot of it was like, um, uh, in specifically Brett's colleagues. So we had one of mine, but then there was probably about eight or nine of um, wow. Brett's colleagues in Sydney. So. They all put up um, our first raise. We were looking for 400, and we raised about uh, 750. Wow. And so um, that meant that we could actually start to build up a team, which was pretty amazing. Um, and as part of that, um, through the Melbourne Angels connections, uh, they knew Simon Yankin, who's a former chair at Aconex, um, who's this construction tech behemoth. Yeah. Um, and so we thought that he was there to just like vet his friend's investment. Um, so we just kind of were like, this is why it's a good investment for your friend, you know, <laughs> when we sort of met with him. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'll just be back in a minute. And then he went and took a phone call, came back like 15 minutes later, and he's like, yeah, I want to invest. And we're like, what? <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, so then, yeah, so then he was part of it. And then his backing and his experience, like he's been super, super supportive and working really, really closely with us um, to help us build out the company. Uh, but then I think there's definitely an element of like, having the right names and the right people mm -hmm. with the right experience backing you that makes other people more excited to back you as well. Um, so yeah, so we pretty much had seven staff from that point um, and then we did another raise which we closed in June and that was the one that ended up on 3.1 which is kind of ridiculous. We're mm -hmm. only looking I think for about 500k again and then the amount just <laughs> like not even tripled more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, tripled. But we had um, people like um, Reese and um, I don't know if you know Hickory Group, but they're like a really big construction company that's like pushing innovation here and around the world as well, um, as well as uh, our innovation fund who are sort of a Sydney-based VC that really help a lot of companies uh, in our space have a lot of success in the US. Um, so yeah, so that, that that was a pretty wild time as well, I guess. Mm. Yeah. It's all been so wild. I yeah, I know, it. I know. I love it. Because like it was literally just me working by myself. Yeah. Um, 18 months ago. And so crazy. then all of that's happened in the last less than two years. So mm. crazy, <laughs> crazy. How do you get through, you know, you said that you had so many knockbacks, you know, of uh, 10 investors, maybe one might be interested, you know, how do you get through that time? Those, I guess, knockbacks. Yeah. I mean, there was so much that we learned. I mean, there was like the most basic thing, which seems silly, but like it took us a really long time to get there. And I still don't think we've got there perfectly. It's just trying to be able to explain your product well mm -hmm. and like that whole elevator pitch thing. Mm -hmm. um, because with our system in particular, um, because anyone can use it for their own benefit, it means that it's helpful for manufacturers. 
um, who might be based in the world or installers, but also these big building companies can use it. And they've all got slightly different use cases and slightly different problems. And so if we tried to say, does this and this and this and this and this and this, then people would be like, oh, well, you're trying to do too much. It's not going to work. Um, or they just wouldn't understand what the hell we were all about. Um, even though the fundamentals of it, just that idea of where's my materials? Mm -hmm. Is it installed yet? Has <laughs> it been done this? Has it been done that? It's pretty basic. Um, so yeah, so I guess that was the sort of thing though. We knew that pretty much from the get-go, as soon as we knew that there was that gap in the market, Brett and I were pretty quickly convinced that what we were doing was inevitable for the industry. It might not be Matrack that does it, mm -hmm. but someone's definitely gonna be in this space. Mm -hmm. And so if we're sort of already in there and we already have some clients and stuff like that, you know, it, there's gotta be something to it. Um, yeah, but yeah, we, we had to get very used to rejection. We definitely got way more knockbacks and um, we will continue to get way more knockbacks than um, people that are interested, but I guess it's just a matter of finding the right people. Mm. Mm. How can we get comfortable with rejection? Uh, practice, mm. <laughs> lots and lots of practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, and, but I guess as well, it sort of depends too, cause like, um, we, we were pretty lucky. I mean, even just the fact that we were able to support ourselves during that mm -hmm. sort of period and everything um, in that like, and we, we both were really lucky in that we had both had successful careers sort mm -hmm. of in more corporate land. Mm -hmm. So if it didn't go well, we knew that we had another job that we could pick up. Um, so that definitely makes it a lot easier than for people who are, you know, this might be their first attempt out of uni, um, or they might not necessarily have that support network. So if they're really quite desperate to make sure this works, um, yeah. So, but, but that being said, the reality is that anytime you're trying to do something new, no matter what industry you're in, um, people won't get it all the time. You know, there's always going to be a bit of education that you need to do as well. And so, um, yeah, you, you just have to get used to the rejection if you really believe Getting in what you're doing. Getting used to that rejection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Key takeaway. Yeah. No, I love it. I could not agree more. Oh, Shane, it's so cool to hear about what you guys have built and where you're at with things. And, you know, I, I'm so excited to see kind of where this takes you guys. What does the future of Matrax look like for you? Um, yeah, it's a cool question. So, um, so basically... Um, it's a pretty interesting time to be in the construction industry because there's so much that's changing. I, like the real fundamental for it was that up until, you know, about 10 years ago, not even, um, people didn't really have access to computers on site. Whereas now because everyone's got mobile phones, um, you can get all this technology that other um, industries might've had decades ago. And so, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting because just um, a lot of the ways that people have had to work um, and a lot of the sort of battles that they've had to have internally, I guess, because like this build is behind schedule, it's your fault, no, it's your fault, you know, all of this stuff. Um, we think at least can go away if you've just got better visibility of where things are at and you can be more proactive about how you prepare and how you plan and how you manage your, your project. Um, so that's a big space that we're moving into quite heavily. Um, and I guess another thing for us, which we're really focused on is just because we are, um, we, we do want to be like a global business. So um, everything has really got to be around that um, scalability, like supporting huge numbers of clients with sort of minimal handholding, yeah. which is hard because it's a new thing in the industry. And so for a lot of construction workers, you do have to sort of be available. Um, you want to be available, you know, you want to understand uh, how they can, you know, get used to it more quickly. Um, but as much as possible, we need to do that in a way that we can support, you know, 
hundreds or thousands of companies coming on board without needing heaps of face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. So that's a challenge. <laughs> we'll see if we can pull that off. But yeah, that's sort of the immediate plans, I guess, for the company. Mm -hmm. Love it. I cannot wait to see how this goes. And knowing you guys, it's just going to, it's just going to be so much that's happening. So I love it. Look, Shane, as we come to the close of today's episode, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you for all of the awesome work you've done and that you're doing. You really do show us that we can go out there and, you know, pursue what we want to pursue. We can go out there and actually make a difference in industries that really need our help. And that we can kind of step up, put our hand up and go, we're the person to do it. So for that, we really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed being on the show. I love your podcast. So thank you so much. Oh, love that. Awesome. So look, our final question is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? It's kind of like, <laughs> there's a funny analogy, I guess. Um, so... I mean, I'm working more now than I've ever worked in my life. That's just the reality of it. Um, but with my previous jobs, every morning when I would wake up, I didn't realise I did this, but my girlfriend told me about it, um, was that when the alarm went off, I would physically groan. I'd be like, ah, I've got to go to work. And she's like, dude, you know, this is like such a depressing way to start the day. Why are you doing that? And I worked like with good colleagues. I enjoyed the companies I worked for. But basically, as soon as I started working for myself or with my brother, um, that's just stopped. I'm just like, hooray, I get to like <laughs> hang out with my brother and these cool people and do this stuff. Um, so I guess like that to me is like the core value, you know. Mm. <laughs> I love it. So well said. Oh, Shane, ladies and gentlemen, we've had an absolute blast. Where can we learn more about you and Matrix? Yeah, totally. So um, matrack.com.au is probably the easiest way, but we're on like LinkedIn and Facebook if anyone's still on that. Um, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again, Shane. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>